Okay, so um, the Lord put on my heart to come up to talk to you guys today. Ooh, the back breathing is kind of, my heart's racing. Um, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Tim mentioned that Adam Bauer had prayed over me during DTS, and I wasn't quite ready to come up and talk about it, um, but God has definitely like been kind of working on me a little bit. So today, I was sitting here um, worshiping, and I re realized that it was the first time I was able to stand through all of worship without being in pain. Yeah. And it was the first day I've ever... <laughs> yep. And it was the first day I've ever woke up not realizing it was raining before I looked outside. Yeah. So, I've actually... Um, I, I haven't been pain... Um, I don't. I actually don't remember being in any ankle pain or anything since Adam prayed for me. And um, my parents could tell you that growing up, I was I always had ankle pain. Even when I was a little girl, my parents had to force me to walk because I wouldn't walk because I was in so much pain. So my mom had to make sure I was in dresses because otherwise I would just crawl. And then when we would go places, my dad would have to carry me because I was in so much pain. And what he was saying to me today while I was worshiping was that he reminded me of how many times I've been prayed for and prayed over and nothing had moved and then how I got discouraged. But I didn't stop getting prayer. And and I just, he wanted me to tell you that some of you might have some kind of illness or sickness in your body that you've got prayer over and it's not budged, but don't stop getting prayer for it. Don't. And he said to me today that he wanted me to be up here after church to pray for anyone with arthritis or um, any like autoimmune disease because he told me that I had to pray for people. So please, um, <laughs> I'm not... It's a lot of my comfort zone, but I'm going to do it. So if, especially, and he also told me, I don't know why, but during worship, my back started hurting on specifically this side. And um, I knew right away that it had nothing to do with me. Um, and so if you have like a back problem, like in this area, so, or you know of somebody who's not here that has back pain right here, um, come on up and I'll pray for you. Um, or you can intercede for the person that's not here. Awesome. Praise God. So good. So good. Well, the Lord be with you. So the story of our lives is the story of being pursued by love. And any other story that we might want to tell about our lives is not really the one the Lord is telling. He loves you. He's about seeing you blessed. He's about finding you in His presence as His child. He's about establishing you in His love in such a way that actually makes a difference in your daily life. Yesterday I was asked the question, what does it mean, Tim, for you to follow Jesus? And I thought, that seems like such a simple question. I should have a simple answer. But it probably took me 20 minutes to paint the picture of well, first, I guess we start with, to me, to follow Jesus, it means to relate to the real Jesus who exists and receive 
the love and truth from the real Jesus who exists and to wake up in the morning and start with God and, and then also it means to look inward. It means to follow my better nature and my better intuitions. And to put to death those ones that I'm like, mm, that's not lined up with heaven. And it means to do good work in the world that creates and adds more beauty and more goodness and more truth. We kind of cycle through that whole idea of we're here to partner with heaven. We're here to, we're here to line up with it's good to exist in a good world that has a lot of problems. But it's our role to continue in God's ongoing process of creation. And I'm going, how are we getting into Genesis in this answer to follow Jesus? But we did. And then we kind of landed at the end with, you know, following Jesus is one of those things that the church, we the church, haven't always been the best at. We've kind of made the teaching of Jesus the footnote and made getting our sins forgiven and going to heaven later, the main story. And so we talked about Gandhi. Gandhi is a Hindu. And as a Hindu, he was in a caste system and there was the British imperial rule and he was trying to figure out how do we find wisdom for regular daily life in this conflict? How do we do it? And interestingly enough, this Hindu man said the best wisdom for regular daily life and the stuff that's broken in the world, he found in Jesus. And he said things like, these Christians I don't like, but this Jesus I love. And he said, these Christians seem interested in Jesus as a sacrifice to get them into heaven later. And I'm interested in Jesus as a way of, as a guide for how to live. And he looked at the Sermon on the Mount and the life of Jesus... And said, so we can do this. This actually, he actually knows how life works best. So then there was this other gentleman named Martin Luther King Jr. And he was dealing with a very similar societal sin problem. Trying to, a, a, another form of a caste system with injustice and the temptation to, to move into hatred. And he strangely said, though he grew up in, within the church, that he saw no models within the church for practical daily life, for power for daily life to solve the real problems that face us. And then it was a little old man named E. Stanley. Y'all heard me talk about E. Stanley Jones before? Christ of the Indian Road. Oh my word. Love that man. Missionary to India who actually honored Hindu culture, who actually honored Indians. He wasn't trying to make them into Westerners. He envisioned a Jesus separate from the cultural forms that it had taken in the West. He envisioned a, a Jesus that it would be okay if they never learned English or sang hymns. It would be okay if they never met in Western-style buildings or, or, or organized themselves in the ways that, normal, that, are, that normally were done. It seemed radical and liberal at the time to other people. But really, it was ancient. It was the old way of Jesus. Well, Martin Luther King Jr. found through Stanley Jones some stuff that Stanley Jones had said about his friend, his Hindu friend, whom he loved, and was a legitimately good, good friend, whose name is Gandhi. And how Gandhi and Stanley Jones had these deep conversations about Jesus, and Gandhi was actually following Jesus in daily life. Though I doubt most Christians would consider Gandhi a Christian. Isn't that strange? 
Isn't that strange? That we've tended to identify someone as a Christian if they believe the right things about Jesus. And the right things are defined by what we believe, right? If you agree with me about Jesus, you're in. But how you live somehow seems to be like a less relevant topic as to whether you're following Jesus. Have I lost you yet? You still with me? So I said, okay, so here's, here's this African-American Christian pastor who's trying to figure out what in the world to do to help work to bring more justice and less hatred to the racial divide in our country. And he finds a Hindu who tells him, you know your Jesus already has all these answers, right? If you Christians would just follow Jesus in life, you might find out how much wisdom this Jesus you claim to follow actually has for your daily life. So he did. He, Martin Luther King Jr. began to follow the Sermon on the Mount as an actual practical wisdom for daily life instead of pushing Jesus off into the so-called spiritual realms of life. Interesting, isn't it, how we compartmentalize our lives? Have you ever met anyone who was a different person in their work life than in their church life? And a different person in their home life than they were in either their work life or their church life? I was started working for a guy years ago, and his wife pulled me aside. He said, yeah, yeah, you can work for me all summer long, it'll be great. And his wife pulled me aside and said, I'm going to try to edit, I'm going to change his name. I'm going to call him Jimbo, it's just a nickname, all right? She said, um... <clears throat> Jim, i got to warn you, there's a big difference between church Jimbo and work Jimbo. And I came to discover what she meant when he threw things, when he physically picked me up and set me aside, when he was verbally and physically abusive. And I, stupidly, didn't quit. Stupidly, I should have quit. Instead, I developed an anger problem. Because I didn't set up a boundary in my life, so now I have internalized his sins, right? Then I had to deal with that for a lot of years. Because I'm not always the quickest to realize when I'm putting myself in over my head. But Jim, work Jimbo and, and church Jimbo and regular home life Jimbo, yet the beliefs are up here with Jesus, 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 but in daily life, the following wasn't there. You tracking? So here's Martin Luther King Jr., Through this un... Yeah, I know, I see it too. You saw that, and you said, oh dear, what's he going to do? Through this tangled web, he's learning from a Hindu how to follow Jesus. And he finds out that he can actually take this Matthew, Matthew 5 and 6, and he can actually believe those, have wisdom for daily life, that Jesus knows what he's talking about, that maybe the place to turn for the real problems facing you and I, is actually Jesus, and not just Jesus, but the historical Jesus that we find in the Bible. Maybe the Bible is the most relevant place. I actually like that. It's not, it's like super beautiful. Maybe the Bible, this supposedly irrelevant, outdated, uh, you know, ancient, foreign, hard to understand book, about a, you know, some Jewish guy who said confusing stories that we're still going, I don't know. Maybe he actually has the wisdom we need for daily life. That maybe doing what he said 
not just believing things about him, will make good news happen. Simple, right? Isn't that fascinating? Doesn't that challenge? Like, so then my wife and I then had this interesting conversation about was Gandhi a Christian? Which is like, well, obviously that's far above anyone in this room's pay grade, right? For us to be the one who determines who knows Jesus and who doesn't. It's like, and yet we, and yet we kind of still feel like we're qualified to assess that. It's interesting, right? Well, I don't think it was. And actually, what's funny is, it would be hard to tell because we ain't in the room. Hard to tell, right? Have you ever just encountered someone and you're like, oh, that's a Christian right there. Yesterday I went for a jog at the little, little woods that I like to run at. And I bumped into the old Seaford Cross Country coach. And I came home and I, I told Carrie, I said, that man's a Christian. We didn't talk about the Lord, but that man's a Christian. I'm, I'm going to track that down later and I'm going to figure it out because there was too much peace. There was too much happiness. There was just the demeanor. I don't know what I'm... I don't even have the right words for it. And I'm not claiming to be absolutely true in my, in my intuition about this. But sometimes you can tell. But sometimes you can't. And sometimes you write off someone who's absolutely on track. Do you know what I'm saying? So, Rob Bell used to be pastor at a huge church in... Uh, what's the city in Michigan? 10,000 people in that church. They retrofitted an old mall. Grand something. Was it Grand, around the Grand Rapids area? They had an art show one day and somebody painted a picture of Gandhi because they like that he actually followed this... this very Jesus-looking... The stuff the Mennonites like about Jesus. Do you know what I mean? There's some things Mennonites like about Jesus, there's other things Mennonites don't like about Jesus, but the parts we like is the parts that Gandhi like. It's alright if I'm silly a little bit, right? It's okay. Because we don't like the whole Jesus. We don't like the Jesus with the sword and all that stuff. We don't like the vengeance parts. We kind of edit those out. But... The historical Jesus, I think we get right. I really do. I love our passion for daily following of Jesus as a peacemaker who loves his enemies and forgives people no matter what and lays his life down for everyone. I love that, and I'm 100% convinced that's accurate. So somebody at, at, at that church painted this big mural of Gandhi because they thought his way of following Jesus in daily life was beautiful. And then somebody put a little sticky note on it that said, Newsflash, he's in hell. That's an interesting level of certainty about someone else's soul that you don't personally know at all that I find sad and presumptuous. Not that I'm claiming to be an expert in saying he absolutely is, but I'm saying if I were going to develop a metric for who I think is probably a real Christian, <laughs> it might have something to do with following him in daily life more than belonging to a church. How are we tracking? And by church here, I'm defining it as an, a 
501c3 organization with a building and so forth. Because the Church of Jesus is the people, not the building, not the infrastructure. So, so yesterday, what does it mean to you, Tim, to follow Jesus? Oh, well, first it would mean to relate to Jesus, a real living being who's present and who has wisdom and who speaks and who changes things and who touches lives and who's moved by compassion. It would, be, it would mean to first relate to Jesus. Then I think it would mean to live your life out of relating to Jesus. And ultimately, you have to land on majoring on the majors. And majoring on the majors is Jesus is love. And he came and he said these things that are so shocking to me still to this day. He says things like, first off, he's, he says that God the Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son. So Jesus will be the judge of all the earth. So he's the judge. And there's numerous scripture references for that, right? So he's the judge. The judge has shown up on the scene. The judge. And the judge says, I haven't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. So the one who is the only one who's been entrusted to judge the world has said, I'm not here to judge the world, or condemn the world, rather. I'm here to save the world. That is fascinating. He's on a mission to redeem those worthy of judgment. He's not ignorant of, of what we deserve, but he's driven by what we're worth. And if that's true of me, it's true of my enemy. If it's true of you, it's true of the people down the street who don't know. And surely that is the heart that drives the Father. No favoritism. A heart of genuine love and concern for the people he encounters and a heart of compassion and a heart of mercy who says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's true of me. It's true of you. He's not, he's not measuring me as my sins deserve. And He's not measuring you as your sins deserve. He's on a mission of love to bring us all to life. There's some really, really good gospel. I wish I could have every one of y'all's genuine answer to the question of what does it mean for you to follow Jesus. Seems so simple, doesn't it? To answer a question like that. And I instantly found myself going, boy, that hits right to the core of the whole deal. And so Jesus, who is the judge, he says, here's what I'm interested in doing, and here's who I, what I'm interested in creating. I want to create a people who love, love each other. That's, that's what I'm about. If I can create a people who love each other, then the world will know that you are authentically related to me because I'm love. And so that's really agenda one, isn't it? And agenda two. And agenda three. You can summarize the, the desire for worship as a desire to receive God's love and extend God's love and invite others into the feast. You can, you can define missions as inviting people into this love relationship that we have with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and with each other. 
So whatever this following, that was how I ended it with her, was saying, you know, I guess if the, if the very, very young and those who are mentally impaired can fully know and please the Lord, then whatever it is to know God must not primarily be an intellectual exercise. Though I know that we are easily impressed with someone's insights and wisdom and, and intellect and teaching. But what God's impressed with is love. There's a good, good gospel. The Father's better than we know. He's not just better than those people we used to think like think. He's better than the way we think. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever noticed how sometimes as we learn new things, we then make how we used to think and how we now think like an identity marker? Well, I used to be non-charismatic, but now I'm charismatic. Isn't that amazing? High fives to us. No? Dude, what? Well, I used to think the Father was this way, but now I know the Father's this way. Ugh, roll of eyes. High fives to us for being enlightened. Okay, but the real God is further better by a long shot than where we currently think he is, than where we used to be. So high fives to heaven. <laughs> it's just another weird thing we do to find our identity in something other than the relationship with him. Namely, how much better it is now for us than we, how much better we are now at this thing than we used to be at this thing. Should I read Psalm 20 just for fun? No? You don't want to read, you don't want to hear it? When I put the pressure on you like that, it's like, she's like, well, I don't feel free to say no to the Bible. I mean, it's like, Tim, check this out. I just, just thinking about what Jen was praying. Um, okay. In times of trouble, may the Lord answer your cry. May the name of the God of Jacob keep you safe from all harm. May he send you help from his sanctuary and strengthen you from Jerusalem. May he remember all your gifts and look favorably on your burnt offerings. May he grant your heart's desires and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy when we hear of your victory and raise a victory banner in the name of our God. May the Lord answer all your prayers. Now I know that the Lord rescues his anointed king. He will answer him from his holy heaven and rescue him by his great power. Some nations boast of their chariots and horses, but we boast in the name of the Lord our God. Those nations will fall down and collapse, but we will rise up and stand firm. Give victory to our King, O Lord. Answer our cry for help. Some boast of their chariots and horses, but we boast in the name of the Lord our God. What's he saying? What's he saying? It's totally natural to lean on our strengths and our resources. But those of us, we're in the faith, those of us in the faith, we've learned another lesson. That as people, we're weak and often needy and, in help, and we need help and we're in trouble. And we keep crying out to the Lord and we keep having requests that, only, that we're looking to the Lord. And He is our salvation. He is our deliverance. And that's a practical help for daily life. 
That's not a theoretical help for like big important issues after we're dead. Although, quite frankly, come on, let's be real. The fact that when we die, we go to heaven. I'm putting quotes around that. You know what I mean? Because we go to be with the Lord directly. Come on. If that don't strip you of significant portion of fear that grips most humanity, ah, it's a beautiful thing. So I'm not minimizing that. But calling on the Lord in daily life and seeing Him deliver us, seeing Him help us pay bills, seeing Him help us like get love for a friend, seeing Him help us get wisdom for a practical situation with parenting, seeing Him help us with the little, the hurts, with the fears. He has deliverance for us in regular life as we cry out to Him, as we ask Him, because He really is this good God revealed in Jesus, the Jesus who taught us to pray, give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins. Regular, normal, practical stuff that we humans go through. But we have needs for daily life. Physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs. And the Father meets those needs as we depend on Him, as we walk with Him. Man, this is the God that Jesus brings us. Not a God distant and in a corner, a God that we can separate out into these little areas of our life, but the God who invades and pervades all areas of life and transforms so that we're the ones always rescued in every area of life. We're never the hero. We're never the big person who can do it on our own. We're always the child learning to, to co-labor with a loving father. It's a really good gospel. It's a really good gospel. And, and then after we've had these times of walking through fire, having to learn to walk by faith, and we see his deliverance, that's what makes our songs get loud. Do you know what I mean? Because sometimes our songs, we're crying out for deliverance, and sometimes our songs are stomping and shouting and whooping and hollering because we've seen His deliverance. But at all times, we are putting our eyes on Him. There's that verse my wife keeps praying over and over, and it's kind of gotten in my craw. It says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on You. It's very similar to... Some trust in their horses and their chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Why? Because He actually hears. He actually delivers. He actually provides. He comes through in the clutch. Yeah, He's good. He's good. And in real life, talking to Him doesn't always sound like faith. You know what I mean? There are times when faith is a little messy. You know? And, I, and I'm not trying to criticize us as churches, but our songs are a lot happier than the Psalms. And it would be really helpful, not if we wrote doubt songs, but if we wrote songs that narrate pain, heartache, loss, and help us direct that to the Lord. So Jesus, could you help us write some songs that help people really connect with you at that deep level when they, when they got real stuff that's not just on the surface? Would you help us, Father? We need that. We need that same grace you gave David. Yeah. I'm going to pray some stuff now, and then I'm going to maybe hand back over to uh, the healing evangelist who spoke to us earlier. That was a blast, man. I, I like I when Anna was praying for you, I kept thinking if he keeps going, we're going to see more movement. He could just keep going, and we're going to see more things move. And 
I wonder why it's easy to have faith for God to heal through Adam. Did you guys hear that? She said at first she was kind of bummed that Adam, who was, who was praying for you more as a teaching exercise than like a full-on, like, let's do this whole thing. It was almost like, this is God, Jesus. God and Jesus are real. Holy Spirit's real. We can do this. And you were saying you were a little bummed that he didn't go keep going further. Because I was like, I have 100% faith. If he just keeps going, we're going to see more. But, but it, and I'm saying exactly what you're saying, which is this. Why is it so much easier for me to go, oh, if Adam keeps praying, Jesus is going to keep moving. But if we keep praying, who knows? That's, that's not letting Jesus be the deliverer. That's putting a little more faith in my part of the equation than I should. Not enough in his ability to flow. But Okay, that's, that's off topic. I want to pray. God, we trust you. And in those areas where we're, we're trying to trust you, we, we pray, help us trust you. Help us trust you. You really are the one who has the wisdom we need, who has the strength we need, who has the comfort and love, who has the healing and forgiveness, who has the insight. And God, we're not looking to you as like a, a vending machine to give us what we want but we are authentically bringing you our lives and saying, God, we want to do what you want us to do. Would you help us? God, would you help us rise up in the midst of the, of the challenges we're facing and pass the tests? Would you help us rise up where faith is required and endure? Would you help us rise up where love is required and pour it out? Would you help us, in Jesus' name, to let go of the things you're asking us to let go of and take on the things you're asking us to take on? We have learned to trust you, God. And we are learning to trust you even more. You are so much better than we think. And you are so much better than we've even imagined or hoped. And I'm asking that, Father, this would, be, this would be a season for us where you're expanding our hearts to receive more of you. To receive an expansion in our expectations of who you are. God, sometimes stretching times are unpleasant, but they bear good fruit if we yield to you in the midst of them. So we yield. We choose to yield to you, God. Amen.